Welcome, everybody, into the Valley of Phoenix Suns podcast. I am joined by Philip Russell and Ryan Shutt. Gentlemen, we have a bit of a doozy to talk about. We have our first losing week of Phoenix Suns basketball in a long, 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 long time. But we complained a lot in jest about how hard it was to learn things about all the winning, right? I think going into this week, or at least going into that second game, Suns had won 19 of 20. So we've got something a little different to talk about here. Uh, but wanted to go ahead before I kind of turn it over to you guys to talk about the games. Remind everyone that we are a part of the Brightside Podcast Network. Feel free to check them out on Apple, Spotify, and any other place you'd get your podcast. Feel free to subscribe there. And if you want to talk to us, you can find us on Twitter at the Valley PHX. We love hearing from you guys, uh, whether you're telling us that we're doing great or you think all of our takes are stupid. We appreciate the comments just the same. Philip, what you got after a very odd week of Suns basketball? Well, first of all, if you don't like individual takes on this, our, our Twitter handles are posted on the Valley PHX. So if you want to call us out individually, feel free to go to the Valley PHX and then look at the bio. That's where you can find it. Uh, Nobody asked my permission to make that plug. Uh, So if you could just like not send me hate, I don't volunteer for that. So the other two are welcome to receive hate. Uh, I only want to receive love. So for what it's worth. On my screen, Ryan, you're third. You're at the bottom. So I didn't feel compelled to ask your opinion. Nor did I ask. Wow. But I get it. Toxic. Someone's taking those losses to heart and letting it affect their mood. The the Grizzlies beat the Bulls last night. That's why I'm why I'm in a bad mood. Here's the deal. Here's the deal with the Suns. It's fine. Learned a lot of stuff this week. Learned Mm -hmm. a lot of really interesting stuff. I'm excited to talk about Point Booker. I'm excited to talk about Aaron Holiday a little bit with you boys. The the house is not burning. It's not the meme with the dog that this is fine. It's actually fine. We're just chilling in the kitchen. The house is not on fire. Everything's everything's good. Yeah, and I want to go ahead and start before we talk about this week's games. And then eventually, if you've listened before, this isn't going to shock you. Get into our highs, lows, and just so you knows later on. But as we talk about this week as a whole, I want to go ahead and put out a disclaimer. I was disheartened, to say the least by the overreactions and just silly takes on Twitter. And I guess some of it you just come to expect, right? It's sports, it's fandom, it is what it is. But if you can't see that a team that's missing, it's all-star, one of the best ever point guards, and their backup guard, and they're struggling in a couple other areas, and they're also, let's add on to that, playing three games in four days, and the kicker is, the last game is at one o'clock tip, depending on where you're at. There was a lot of stuff going on this week on top of the, hey, new rotations, new point guard, still no backup. There's a lot. So let's go ahead and just say any criticisms or negative insights that we bring to the table, don't use that as fuel to the things are crap fire. They're just observations. We want to learn. We want to assess what can change from this, what we liked, what we didn't like. And then hopefully game plan for the future and kind of see what we think could be uh, seen on the court in days to come as Chris Paul is going to be gone for a while. I think conservative right now, they're saying six to eight weeks, who knows, right? So this is, this is the new norm, at least for the next little bit. So with that said, 
let's go ahead recap the week since we last talked. Um, started off a win at Oklahoma City. If you just look at the final score, 124-104, it looks like the drubbing that you might have expected. But to the Thunder's credit, they had cut it to 94-91, a three-point game late in the third, kind of right before crunch time. And then the Suns ended on a 30-13 to run, pretty much closing the door, locking the door, uh, and just going ahead and leaving on the way out there. So it's good to see him take care of business. That was the first point book game, first game without Chris. Follow it up with the loss to the Pelicans, 117-102. Now, this one, you could look at the box score and say, while it wasn't close, and that would be correct. Uh, This game kind of got out of hand, tail end of the third. Suns were never really able to recover, even after a couple hot stints. But honestly, it was the defense. The defense could not really put it together. It was very apparent. And the Suns dropped that one by 15. And then... The one that stings the most, if I'm being honest here, and it's more out of personal pettiness than anything, losing 118-114 to the Utah White, sorry, Jazz. Um, And what can come from that? I hate the Jazz, right? I don't think this is a new thing. A lot of NBA folks aren't huge fans of them. Uh, There's a dude named, uh, what what was that, Philip? What's the guy on the Twitter? Uh, Vernon? Is that his name? It's Vernon Maxwell, dude. That's the one. NBA player. Yeah, Vernon Maxwell, ex-Hooper. And Twitter star, beloved hater of the Utah Jazz. Um, there's a lot of folks in that boat, so I, I feel at home. But the Suns dropped that one in a just an unlikely, unfortunate series of events to close that one that we'll discuss. But again, you take a week where there's a lot of stuff new. You're coming off of a long break, and you're basically playing three games in three and a half days. It's a weird one. You go one and two. Ryan, kind of teeing it up for you first, this week as a whole, like I said, with all the change and all the poor scheduling, is it something for you where you were shocked by the outcomes? Because I, I think objectively losing to the Pelicans is is one that may, might shock you. But what were your kind of just overall thoughts from the week? I think on paper, the Pelicans, to your point, is is would have been a shocking loss. We didn't exactly know how C.J. McCollum would come out playing. He obviously looked really great um, for the Pelicans and has had really a, a great start for them. Um, really, my my the way I view the week is just it's disappointing. It's it's and it's not nobody's fault really, uh, aside from maybe you know some some bench play and we can get to that later. Um, but this is the first time in a long time that I've just had. I've just felt bummed about the way the week went for the Suns. Um, and really, I think it might be since the first week of the season that I felt that way. I, it's been smooth sailing for weeks now at this point. You forget what it's like to drop a couple in a row. Um, and really, I think that's just because we've been so spoiled this season, especially. Um, but it's just been kind of a, a downer of a week. But again, to, to Phillip's point, the house is not burning. There, there's no smoke to be found. It's just a, a bad week with... Um, you know, kind of retooling where we are without Chris Paul and without campaign at the moment. Um, and, and I think we'll get it back on track here in the, in the next two or three weeks, but um, just kind of a, a, a bummer of a week coming off the high of the all-star weekend. Philip, I'm going to go ahead and question one for you, I guess, same thing for I asked Ryan, you know, what's kind of your overall feel from this week. And then I'm going to go ahead and, and put question two and you can get there whenever you want. 
Uh, but out of the games this week, which one was the biggest disappointment for you? Because I'm kind of curious to see between the two losses where you're kind of lying in terms of frustration, if you can call it frustration. Not frustrated. Nothing, nothing about this week was particularly surprising to me. Let's take the Jazz game, for example. Going into the last five minutes, you think, okay, this is where the Suns have made their money all season long. They are exceptional down the stretch. Are they going to do it again? Here are the offensive possessions. Tell me if you um, hear a theme. DA, offensive rebound, make. Booker, corner three, make. Gobert with a great defensive block on DA. DA had a wide open lane to the basket. Booker, mid-range bucket. DA, open mid-range jumper. Booker, three-pointer. J, open three-pointer. They made a bucket on, on all but one possession, five minutes or under, until that turnover from J. The execution, it wasn't pretty, but they got the job done down the stretch. And they just struggled on defense today. Now, if that persists long-term, that will be something to be worried about. But there's no reason in my mind to be panicking when all you're looking at is an extra stop or two down the stretch and the Suns pull out a really tough game this afternoon. Yeah, I, I personally, I think, I think the frustration from today's loss and I know people are going to jump to the ending, the timeout or no timeout, the Crowder, what, who cares, right? They were down, I think, eight or nine and clawed back to tie it up and make it a game. Like, I'm not going to be upset about that. What I think got me a little frustrated were here were the stats to start the game. In the first six minutes of the first quarter, the Suns started 10 of 11 with 24 points. They got off hot and they started hot and philip and i were uh basically in the xbox party watching the game together and i was just like dude this is this is looking like a spanking like they came out firing and everyone looked completely locked in and so it was a bummer to see even just by the end of the first quarter that lead start to dwindle and it get caught up and then it was man i feel like i feel like we had an opportunity and i know it's early but I just want to see a sustained ability to maintain the lead. But the problem is when you know the rotations that were running, it was tough to watch the bench unit today. Um, there were lineups of players playing together that I don't know if they've ever played together. Um, it was just, it was funky and it's a lot of stuff figuring it out. The Pelicans loss for me was frustrating because it looked defensively like we were just completely unable to make a stop. And that lasted a long time. And then you saw Monty attempt to, I guess, try to just in case of emergency break class and go with the small lineup just to do some energy, some spark with ish and whoever, and nothing was really working, right? Like defensively, they couldn't figure it out. I know we've talked already uh, off the, off the pod. McCollum looked like a superstar, right? He looked great. That makes sense. I get it. Him and Ingram played well, but it's still surprising to see a Suns team defensively look just unable to figure it out. And question for you guys, and I'm struggling with myself, and I don't think 
I've taken the time to watch back with this lens on. So I don't want to put you on a tough spot, but I think one thing I didn't take into consideration was how does Chris Paul not being there affect the defensive side of the ball? Um, And I want to go back and watch and see what, what has changed, right? Cause I feel like there's got to be something there. Um, One of, one of our favorite people, uh, in Sun's world, in the Twitter sphere, in the whatever you want to call it, uh, good old David at the four point play. I think he might have mentioned in a tweet, either during the Jazz game or right after, talking about maybe defensively things are changing because they're switching everything. Like they're switching more now since they don't have to hide Chris on someone else and kind of pinpoint those switches. So maybe they're switching more and that's leaving them out of position. Maybe they're just not in what their groove is. But it's got. Am I crazy to think that there's a bigger connection to Chris being gone and the defense failing, or do you think this is kind of just two outliers within a week? Because I'm, I'm happy to be wrong. I don't care. I, I'm just curious to. I know Philip, you were taking some notes during the last two games, and I wasn't sure if anything jumped out to you in terms of Chris's absence. Not, not majorly, especially in the, in the Pelicans game. I can't imagine Chris would have been guarding CJ and definitely would not have been guarding Yeah, not, not BI. Yeah. So when you, when you asked, or when you mentioned about the switching, why was the switching necessary against that? When the Suns blitzed CJ and BI, the Pelicans were doing a great job on the odd man advantage. Valanchunas had a really nice game mm-hmm. facilitating. And we've talked about that in weeks past with the pick and roll. You blitz the ball handler. He gets the pass over the top and it's usually a three on two uh, as the big is rolling and going downhill. They did a great job with that. Had a couple of really pretty possessions that either ended with a wide open three or ended with a dunk with a guy like Jackson Hayes. When the Suns dropped that game, CJ and BI got, really great looks in the mid range and they were just buckets that game. So in a game like that, we, we keep saying this, but it's the break glass. All right. These dudes are on fire. Dropping's not working, which is what the Suns want to do. Blitzing isn't working because their playmakers were, they were just doing a great job. So let's just try to switch. I appreciate that Monty went to that, that they tried to switch, but CJ Suns fans that night, that night, CJ was the best player on the court. By a decent margin. Yeah. Well, I was going to say it, it reminded me of our own talks of when you were doing the pick and roll coverage lessons, which I wasn't sure if you had one prep today. I didn't want to throw you on the spot. Uh, but we talked when we were discussing drop coverage about how a team like the Suns can regularly beat that come playoff time, come big game basketball. And we talked about why that is. And it's do you have dudes that can create for themselves, be able to play make when necessary and always make the right read? And then finally, be an absolute killer from the mid-range. That was C.J. McCollum for the entire game. Like, he didn't need much space as we saw him shoot contested after contested shot that landed. He just needed to get to the elbow, and he was deadly. And that's one of those things, again, I'm glad I'm not a coach. I don't, I don't know what you do other than, like you said, you just try to switch everything and see if it works itself out. And it's, it's probably different in, in a series like today, just the pick and roll thing for today that Ethan and I, we were talking about right before we started recording, Gobert was setting really good screens on the Suns today. The Suns, if you go back and watch some of those pick and rolls, it was annoying. the, the Suns players look like they had to go half a step and sometimes even a fuller step out 
past Gobert to then try to recover to the guard or the wing, whoever was handling the ball, usually a guard, usually Conley or Mitchell. And what that does is it gives the offense about an extra half beat to either lay it up if the biggest slow or dish it off to the rolling big man or get it into get it out to their shooters. So he did a nice job today. That's stuff that you would think the Suns will sharpen up in a series, but in one-off games, it's really hard in the middle to switch up the schemes for something that's that minute. The word, the word I kept using was go bears picks. And again, I don't, I don't know the, the technicality. They were always in such a good place. It looked like the defender was over committing every time. That step was just a little longer. He was going a little wider, whether that was wrapping around or over pressing. And it was bothering me because I was watching great defenders, Mikhail included. And I was just thinking like, you are, you are committing so wide. Like you are pushing so hard on his hip that all Mitchell has to do is cut back. And he did repeatedly. And then go bears rolling. And it's just, it's clear why both of those dudes, whether they like each other or not, make a crap ton of money and are very good at that. Um, yeah, it was frustrating, man. It really was because it just it's this thing you can see on the TV and say you're setting yourself up to be a step late. But whatever's happening, obviously these dudes are defensive pros. They must be doing it for a reason. Uh, but man, it 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 was frustrating. I it was just annoying to watch. But props props to Go Bear, props to the Jazz, uh, the Suns. For the record, here this wasn't an off night, and I think. Ryan mentioned it earlier, like this wasn't a bad showing against a good, healthy jazz team. The sun shot 51 from the field, 46 from three and 81 on free throws. And DA went off, right? That's a lot of stuff going right to still lose a tight game to a good team. So again, hopefully none of that is, is taken through a uh, glass half empty, like point of view. Right. Um, but it is worth noting just to see, you know, what could change as we continue to figure out life. I'm not saying post Chris Paul, but set without Chris Paul for now. Would, would you like to end this part of the show with a tweet about jazz fans? I would. I mean, if it's at say, yes. their, if it's at their expense, absolutely. Oh, it 100% is. Okay. So Vernon Maxwell is the guy who <laughs> yes. antagonizes Suns fans online. Here is his jazz fans, jazz fans, right? Jazz fans. Yes. He only antagonizes jazz fans. Did I say Suns fans? You did. Whatever. You guys knew what I meant. All right. Here it is. When you click on Vernon Maxwell's profile at the top, he said, I'd like to apologize to jazz fans that were offended by my tweets. If I knew you guys had internet in Utah, I would have never made those comments. (laughs) I love, I love it. They're great. And there's a lot of those too. You can only, you can only pin one, but man, it's all it. the time. You know what? Buy one, get one free. You scroll a little bit down and it says, show me a jazz fan and I'll show you an idiot. See, he takes care of me. No, I love it. Um, the Thunder game. I don't want to completely just look past it. It was an entertaining game. I did love uh, what we saw out of a healthy, well-rested point book. And Philip, I know you've got some stuff to talk about point book later on. Uh, Ryan, I will say your rookie of the year, Josh Giddy, had some good moments, had some good moments I'm, there. I'm telling you, man, whether or not he wins it, I knew nothing about Giddy. Full transparency coming into this season. I knew nothing about the guy, but boy, is he fun to watch. And, and I hated that he was playing the Suns the other night because I just wanted to enjoy Josh Giddy. And I felt 
kind of torn the whole time because he's just a fun guy to watch. So this is a, a weird Ethan story, and then we can pivot back to our, our regular scheduled programming. Uh, I was working with a sports tech company for, for a little bit, and they were based out of Australia. And my boss at the time was pretty active in basketball over there. He was involved in coaching. I think he coached Ben Simmons when Ben was like 13, 14, and kind of like the junior national. And I remember the two of us sitting, uh, I think it was like the ESPN coach of the year clinic or something for football down in Oklahoma. And between conference speakers, he was just showing me YouTube video from their home gym of Josh Giddy. He was saying, this is the next dude. This is the next guy that we think is going to blah, 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 blah. He can do everything. He can do this better than, I mean, they only compare their Australians to other Australians and other New Zealanders and everyone that's way over there, you know, but it was, it was a lot of fun just sitting and watching that guy ball. And so props to him. I think he's made the, the, the Presti heads and the thunder regime look good as they continue to get some value. Uh, but the Suns took care of business, so life Ethan, is good. Can can I ask you a favor? Uh huh. Yes. If Josh Giddy does in fact win Rookie of the Year, I mean, would anything. you be willing to grow your hair out to Josh Giddy lengths? Absolutely, I would absolutely get yes. the Giddy flow. You heard it here first. If Giddy wins Rookie of the Year, Ethan's adopting the Giddy flow. I think it'd look awesome. My wife probably would not. But with that nonsensical point coming to an end, we move on to what makes Into the Valley Into the Valley. Our highs, our lows, and our just so you know some Phoenix Suns basketball. And with that, Ryan, you're high in Phoenix Suns basketball this week. I apologize if this steals yours because I know you absolutely adore this guy, but my high is going to be Cam Johnson. Um, and what, it's, I mean, the odds were pretty high that that was going to be involving for me, but go ahead. But here's the thing. I have enjoyed your Cam Johnson Thursdays. I thought it was funny, but it was kind of a meme to me at first. I thought it was That's what they all say. Coincidental. I thought it was a fluke perhaps. But Cam Johnson Thursdays are a real thing and 100%. Ethan, you have me 100% on board. But he has had in the 3 games even though they haven't gone great, uh he's been playing really well. He's got 21 points against Oklahoma City, going 7 of 12 from the floor with four four rebounds, five assists, an almost identical stat line um, against Utah today with 23 points, 7 of 11 with another four of five. Didn't play as well um, against the Pelicans, only going 15-1-1 and not shooting that great from the floor. But Cam Johnson has, I think, is is making some really good, um, taking some advantage of this more playing time the last couple of games. And I think uh, it's just really playing well. And I just, more than anything, I wanted you to know that I am fully a disciple of Cam Johnson Thursdays uh, and apologize for ever doubting you that it was an actual thing. I do appreciate that. I feel like I'm, I'm still underwhelmed by the uh, national media's reception of it. Uh, But go ahead, Philip, what you got? No, I'm just going to tell you to go next. Oh yeah, yeah, I was, I mean, Cam Johnson's been teed up for me. You think I'm stopping here? Uh, Camp Johnson Thursdays, for those that may be new to the show, uh, it is a national and cultural phenomenon where Cam Johnson <laughs> goes full-on Super Saiyan every Thursday. I cannot tell you why. 
Uh, updated stats through the nine Thursdays this season. Cam is averaging 16.6 rebounds, almost two assists on 61% from the field and 59% from three. And this isn't a dude that's shooting one or two a game and just happens to get hot on Thursday. No, the big fella is scorching. And it is, it's incredible. I love it. Uh, I do want to say it's not my high, but I, I do just want to tag along. It's incredible how his floor just keeps raising, right? He came in as this safe, best shooter in the draft. Every week, I feel like he continues to show out and continue to show more and more aspects of his game. Defensively better than expected. I feel like I've given this speech 10 times, so I'll just stop and say I love Cam Johnson, and that's fine. Uh, My high for the week was a certain holiday brother that doesn't play for the, I don't know all their heights, but I wanted to say the only holiday brother that's not six, two or high, like taller, hate to roast the guy, but I feel like that's probably right. But Aaron holiday guys, I, Philip and I have talked about this at length. Uh, Our boy Ryan's been super busy with work this week. So I've just had to bug Philip with all this, but it's okay. I know I've been replaced when I moved. I I know how this works. (laughs) No. So Philip and I both, fell victim to the moment in a Jalen Smith, JaVale McGee conversation of the past. We may have gotten a little too excited from what we saw from Jalen Smith in the one week, six week, if you remember, and we're really high on the upside. Now, Ryan, you might need to plug your ears for some of this, but Aaron holiday in a very short time has made me very interested to see who the number two point guard will be come playoff time. And I don't, and this isn't a, wow, he's dropping 20 and 10 every night. What a stud. It's just the, it's, it's, I don't know if it's intangible might not be the right word. It just, his presence on the court is far more even keeled for me. He seems very comfortable, but he seems confident. He knows how to make the right read. And we were talking while watching today's game, the easiest contrast for me in, in describing him versus campaign is campaign is incredibly good at probing to the middle to get a shot. If the shot's not there, yes, he will look for the little scoop pass, the little dump off, the little whatever. Holiday seems to be going into that probing mode with laser antenna, whatever, all around his head, knowing where everyone's at and being very aware that this action is not just to score, but to make defenders move and create for others. And he has done, in my opinion, a very good job looking comfortable in a very new offense to him very quickly. And I'm curious to see what the growth will look like, what is ahead of him. He's in a very new situation than he was in Indiana. And that just gets me excited. Um, you know, we've we've joked that Torrey Craig, we, we got him for cash considerations. Holiday is our our Craig of this year in terms of that same joke, but I've been just impressed, very impressed. I don't know Alfred's health situation, but it doesn't seem like it took long for Holiday to bump him off on the point guard rotation. Campaign's injury has now lasted longer than expected. Over the All-Star weekend, they said he was planning on being back by Oklahoma City. That got pushed back again, and I'm curious to see what Holiday continues to do with these opportunities especially with Chris gone. So holiday has been a bright spot for me. I don't, this isn't a, I think he's the point guard of the future. He's the next Chris Paul, right? But I do think he's shown some bright spots and I appreciate it. Uh, Philip, I'm going to go ahead and let you go next for our high 
and then I'm going to let you go next for your lows because I'm pretty sure you're going to be uh, on the same train of thought there. So I'm going to turn it over to you. Yeah. Let's talk about Booker at point. I like it. I like it a lot, actually. I like the possession to possession variety that Booker being the primary initiator brings to the offense. He can initiate the offense similarly to CP3. The little dump in to DA to get the offense going, pick and rolls, the famous snap play that they have, the PNR into the pin down or the back screen for the big. He can do all of that. But then additionally, Booker is so much better off ball than CP3 is. Like there is, there is a chasm between Booker's off ball movement and the he's magnetic off the ball. He's going to draw a significant amount of attention. That said, Cam and Jay, if you notice, Cam Johnson and Jay Crowder initiated the offense a lot this mm-hmm. week. So if they got a rebound, they can go ahead and go and initiate the offense with Booker starting off ball with Booker coming off pin down screens or little DHOs where Jay can hand him the ball, set a screen, flare out to the wing as Booker goes for a PNR with DA or JaVale, whoever might be in. I like all of that. I think it's good. I think the complexity of the possessions, the complexity of the offense possession to possession can go up with him because you can have very different looking sets if he's running the point because he can do so many different things. Whereas CP3 is a brilliant basketball mind, but it's going to be really, I think it'll be really similar sets with CP3 with nuance to them. So I like the, I like the complexity. My low for the week, my low for the week is also Booker at the point because it seems, it seems that Booker playing point guard exacts a significantly heavier toll because he has a bigger workload. So he played 38 minutes per game this week, but in the two losses, those minutes were, were high. I am nervous about the kind of load that he's going to have going into the playoffs. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that we see some really good stuff, really good playmaking from Cam Johnson and facilitating from Aaron holiday to get him off the ball so that in a game like the Pelicans game, where at moments during that game, they were pushing up on Booker at half court, making him work hard just to get into the sets. He has a little bit more of a release valve to get off the ball and initiate the offense in a different way. So to kind of summarize it, I like it because I think the Suns can do a lot of different things with him at point and with him at primary ball handler. But I'm also watching it to make sure that he's not getting overworked in these games. Yeah. And one thing too, I wanted to mention kind of going along with that. And I got to, I got to double check here and make sure I got my facts straight, but I'm pretty sure Cam Johnson's career high for assists is five, which I'm pretty sure he did twice this week. I might be wrong. I know he did it at least today. I think he did it earlier this week too. Cause I was looking through my notes and saw I had mentioned that earlier, but I think he's someone that can absolutely handle that. Um, I think Booker at point is, I mean, it's just an adjustment, right? Like they even joked in one of the, uh, I think it was after the Thunder game in the post-game interview, uh, how Book went up to Cam and Mikhail pregame and was like, hey guys, I'm, I'm supposed to be point guard here. So if I start jacking up too many shots, you have to let me know. Like it's even just the joking self-awareness of my role is different here. I cannot operate the same way. And we saw glimpses. I think 
We all uh, may have texted some frustrating moments where Booker looked off and opened Cam Johnson at the top, right, in multiple games this week, which makes me very annoyed. And it's just that that's Booker reverting to Booker mode, and that's not the right read for the point guard to make. So it's an adjustment for sure. Um, my low for the week is just just the defense in general. Um, it was frustrating to me to see, and I'm not saying C.J. McCollum is not, Excellent. Please, please. He is fantastic. But it seemed like the Suns were repeatedly getting beat by the same thing over and over and weren't able to adjust. Now, I'm not the coach. I'm not here to tell you how they should have adjusted. We've already thrown out some ideas. And sometimes it just doesn't work. You can have the right game plan. It just doesn't work. That's that's basketball. Uh, but I, I think what I enjoy about the Suns, just as much as their fun brand of basketball that they play, which is a very right way to play is defensively they usually take care of business and they just couldn't this week um so again i'm not pinning that on any one thing i think each player had stuff that bothered me i think jay was lacking in a couple areas i think da was lacking uh at parts of today's game just not playing the same defense in the second half that we saw in the first uh book i do want to give some love his defensive intensity did not seem to drop with the increased offensive workload, which I think is impressive, but goes along to your point, Philip, of are you going to overexert yourself? Just worth mentioning. So that's my low. Uh, Suns just didn't get it done on the defensive end. Um, we saw them do it to a very talentless Thunder team when it mattered. No offense to, to Giddy and the, and the crew. Uh, you know, they put the clamps on when they needed to to kind of take care of that one. Uh, but overall, it, it was a bit of a lacking week on that side. Uh, Ryan, what was your low for the Suns this week? My low is the last two games bench scoring. Uh, today, you had McGee and Holiday combining for 4 of 15 from the floor. And then the game before that in New Orleans, you had Torrey Craig going 0 for 6 from the field. Uh, the two games combined, our bench scored a total of 28 points. Uh, so my low this week is just our bench scoring. Uh, and with Chris Paul out, we're going to need to find ways to score other places and our bench is really going to have to help sustain that. So hopefully these past two games aren't going to be indicative of what the next few weeks will hold, but definitely the low point for me this week. Yeah. They talked about that all on the broadcast today. Part of me thinks, and maybe this is just me being defensive. Part of me thinks it's a slightly unfair thing to say only because you just took your best bench score and put him on the starting like rotation, right? Like Cam Johnson usually is the main facilitator facilitator on that second unit even when he's not the point guard and scoring wise can really bring a lot. Uh, so yeah, they're going to have to, Monty's going to have to figure out those rotations. Cause it's Philip and I were talking about the minutes today in terms of like who's going in at what minute they changed it fourth quarter, they pushed it up. And it just looks like after those five, there were a lot of question marks. Uh, and I think you also mentioned something, Ryan, that I don't want to beat too hard, but Tory Craig, uh, I mean, tough shooting all around. Uh, guys, I'm going to go ahead and bypass my just so you know. Cam Johnson Thursdays have already been touched on. Uh, Ryan, anything that, that the folks need to know about this week is to kind of wrap this up? Landry Shamit is stinky and is four percentage points below his scoring average this season. And it's just a bummer because I think this dude could be really good. Uh, and it's just I, I hope he gets it together. Apparently, J.J. Reddick's been talking to him. Apparently, they're close. Hopefully, he gets it figured out. But right now, it almost seems like he's got the yips. I know he had 10 points the other night. But, uh, you know, it's been kind of a bummer. I respectfully disagree. I think Shamit's doing just fine, and his shot will fall eventually. Philip, what you got? 
That's what I was going to say. It's just a shot making issue as Jamet. He's playing well. The shot's not, he's largely playing well. His positioning is going in. Yes. Second thing, everybody, every Suns fan needs to watch Aaron Holiday very closely over the next few weeks, because to your point, facilitating in the second unit is going to be a huge deal for the point guard spot. Campaign is a great spark plug scorer, but he's not, he doesn't strike me as a great facilitator yet. When the rotation settles in with a fully healthy team, Cam Johnson is going to get a lot of run with that second unit. That second unit point guard needs to be able to get him the ball in good spots and early returns are that Aaron Holiday can be really good at that, potentially better than campaign than campaign is at that. So we'll need to see if Aaron and Cam can get some run together for the future of that second unit scoring. Yeah, I hope he gets healthy. I just want I just want to see what he looks like. He's been gone for a bit. Uh, guys, like I said, a bit of a, a bit of a bummer week just in terms of the record, but I think it's, it's fair to expect that when you lose a hall of fame point card and you're figuring out what comes next. So I think we're going to have more interesting episodes the next uh, six to eight weeks as we kind of see what Monty and the crew do. Um, again, just want to remind everyone, check us out on Twitter, check us out on all the bright side podcast network homes. Uh, Thank you for listening if you're still here with us. Uh, Ryan, I hope you're vibing in Florida. I miss you. Philip, you got a baby on the way in T-minus under two months. We got a bunch of big stuff happening. Uh, but guys, love you both. This has been Into the Valley Phoenix on the podcast. We out.